This morning, we kick off our twice-a-year mini-series that we call Grace Stories, and we love to start a new season in September after Labor Day with these Grace Stories. Uh, one of the reasons is, um, especially if you're new to our community, we want to communicate to you two of our, uh, at least two of our five core values, what's most important to us as a gospel community. And Grace Stories do these really well. Grace stories point, first of all, to gospel-centered biblical truth. Uh, they're, they're not necessarily about uh, doctrine. They're not teaching moments. Um, and more importantly, these are not stories of spiritual giants for us to ooh and ah about, for us to admire and um, hold up as examples. These stories are about the Almighty and about how He has come low to pour out his grace upon the broken. And uh, these stories reflect uh, the sec uh, second of our core values, authentic biblical community. God's grace is given to ordinary people just like you and me are. Uh, they're, they're not extraordinary. They haven't earned the favor of God uh, by some dewy duties. And that helps us connect it to them. We realize she's not all that different than me. She experiences times of doubt, struggle, brokenness, pain. Sometimes she feels far from God. And we're encouraged and challenged to rely on the same grace of God that has been displayed in this person's life. Uh, this past week in my personal devotional time, I was in Psalm 77, and Asaph, the writer, is despondent. He feels like God has abandoned him. What pulls him out of that dark place is one thing. He remembers what God has done in the past. Not even for him personally, but he remembers the faithfulness of God to his people. And his assumption is God is the same and he will continue to be faithful, even if it doesn't feel like he is today in my life. And then in the very next Psalm, 78... Asaph, same guy, is sharing this lesson by urging his fellow Israelites to remember the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done, and then to tell the next generation the same so that they would put their trust in God. This morning, Cheryl Matthew is ready to share her, her grace story. In a sense, Cheryl's inviting us to listen in as she remembers out loud what God has done in her life. And our prayer is that you would see that God wants to do the same in your life and that you would put your trust in Him. Thanks, Cheryl. Hi, everyone. Good to see you all. I think this is probably my first time in first service, so good to see some of you for the first time. <laughs> the Lord has done many marvelous works in my life, all of which are worthy to be shared. But for this occasion, I've decided to focus on how God has been molding me most recently. Some background, I was born here in the US, but shortly after I was born, my parents sent my sister Christina and I to live with my grandparents in India for around three years. My dad was working and my mom was attending school at the time. I've lived in New York ever since I returned from that blessed season abroad. 
We attended St. Thomas Evangelical Church of India in Bergenfield, New Jersey, where I learned much and was given many opportunities to serve. I can't remember the exact moment I was saved, but I do remember the first time I publicly professed my faith was at Word of Life Snow Camp in the winter of 2006. I was in seventh grade. My middle school years were influential as toxic relationships and interacting with the fallen world and middle child syndrome, yes it does exist, and shout out to all my fellow middle children. <laughs> all of this led to a state of deep sadness and possibly even depression. Being so young, I had no idea how to deal with how I was feeling, and I don't think anyone around me knew how to help me either. Looking back, I believe it was during this season I began craving the approval of people. In other words, when my lack of security in who I was began. I still can't believe this because I rarely do this now, but I spent so much time during those years on my knees in tearful prayer. High school seemed a lot better. I began to see myself as someone with much to offer. I saw that despite the status of my relationships and circumstance, I had people in my life who weren't going to go away, and I felt I had likable qualities like kindness, quietness, humor, intellect, athleticism, etc., that would ultimately lend, help me end up all right. In retrospect, I see that my confidence and security were rooted in temporary and subjective ground, as many of the people in my life back then are not in my life now, and I really wasn't as nice or as funny as I thought I was. Regardless, these qualities and the approval I received from people around me when I exhibited these qualities well were the basis of my confidence. Insecurity was a result when I felt I wasn't perceived in these ways. After high school, I went upstate for college, and that began another influential couple of years. Not everything was good, but my passion for missions began during this time. I felt the grace of God in my life for allowing me to be born into the around 3% of Christian homes in India. That means that in a country of over a billion people, I was born into one of the very few homes where I could have the privilege of hearing the sweet name of Jesus. My parents taught us to sing, pray, and read scripture every night. I reaped the fruit of the prayers of my grandparents and extended family. I was clearly growing in my faith and falling more in love with Jesus in college, but as I reflect on that time, I realized I was only happy or secure when I felt I was on good terms with everyone in my life. Never did I create an opportunity for conflict. I never confronted, only avoided, which ultimately led me to develop quite thick skin. The logic being, if nothing bothered me, my life would be without conflict and I wouldn't have to confront anyone. To me, confrontation led to making others upset, which would lead to my being unliked or perceived as unkind. I couldn't have this happen because being liked was my foundation for security. After college, I spent around two months on the mission field and then headed off to grad school in the fall of 2016. Around this time was when my sister Christine and I began coming to GRC. The transition to feeling like a part of this church took some time and a variety of emotions, but here we are now, thank God. All of that sets the stage for how God has been molding me most recently. Over the last three years, I've been confronted with a new kind of identity crisis. After a very brief failed relationship where a guy I was dating ended things with me because for all intents and purposes, he felt I wasn't fun. I felt misunderstood. I think I'm a lot of fun. 
But the truth was, he never saw that side of me. Why not? I began to examine my behavior at home, at church, at work, with friends, and realized I was so different in every situation. I wanted each person in my life to see me in a very specific way, and if that image was damaged in any way, I would obsessively think about what went wrong and try to remediate the situation or rebuild the specific image I wanted to showcase. Very few people saw me for who I was, but why? Through a lot of self-reflection, conversation, prayer, and some counseling, I realized that this fear of man, idol of pleasing people, insecurity in who I really was had grown so much that I restricted and adjusted so much of myself in order to never give anyone a reason not to like me. I was convicted because this was not the example Jesus set, and this was certainly not the way to live my life to the fullest. John 13 verses 3 to 5 read, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus knew who he was and what his purpose was, so he washed his disciples' feet. The disciples have may have thought this to be a job for the lowly, but Jesus, confidently knowing his permanent and very high position, embraced this lowly job, ashamed of nothing. He did this throughout his whole ministry, and so did the apostles. As a result, wherever they went, they all acquired friends and enemies. But their position in God never changed, even though their position with people did. Constantly adjusting and conforming in order to be a person who is liked, was, and sometimes still is, my method to achieving security and approval. However, adjusting and conforming in order to be liked is the equivalent of standing for nothing and ultimately suppressing who God made me to be. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 conveys the message that my security and peace of mind should lie with the unshakable status I am given when I believe Jesus died for my sins. He had died for everything that makes me unworthy and ashamed, and then rose to life, defeating any power those sins or death itself had. I'd heard this message so many times, but only in this season did this message bring to light to what I was seeking through my people-pleasing, ever-conforming mindset, and how deep my sin of seeking security in this way was. With awareness of this, God gave me grace to pray against this mindset and try to change. Much to my dismay, he answered this prayer by putting me into situations where I couldn't please the people I most wanted to please. As much as I wanted to make those around me happy, I was faced with what had always been true but I never lived by. I was powerless to change circumstances in my life. I was therefore powerless to please everyone in my life. Not being able to please and impress, which was what I had worked so hard to do for so long, was hard. Although I had learned that I wasn't made secure or justified by how others viewed me, I still felt loneliness, discontentment, pathetic, constantly like I wasn't enough with nothing much to offer. But at the same time, almost like a response to these feelings, God extended great grace by allowing me to experience community in a way I hadn't experienced in a while. God placed people in my life who welcomed me into their homes and looked at me as if I was enough. 
I wanted to meet their expectations and say and do what would please them, but they weren't waiting for me to accomplish anything, say anything spectacular, do anything helpful, look any type of way. They just wanted to be with me. Their love and acceptance was used as a small reflection of how God has seen me all along, accepted, loved, enough because of him. Amazing it took all this to finally get that message in Romans, or at least get it a little more. God, had made, God has made clear where I stand with him because of his work, and because it's due to our good God's work, I can trust that it's quality work. It won't break or change even if I mess up. Every day is better with the confidence that comes from this knowledge. This knowledge is freedom. I still have ways to go in this effort, even as I write this, or even as I wrote this. Uh, the thought of how you all will perceive me after I give my great story looms, but all I know for sure is that despite that, my place with my father will not change. I pray for Cheryl. Join me. God, thank you for this daughter of yours, beloved, adopted into your forever family by her faith in Jesus. Thank you for giving her courage. Thank you for assuring her of her position in you, as she said. And that confidence to free her to be honest about herself, even in front of all these people. Trusting that you'll use this story of your grace in her life for great good. Assure her even now in these hours ahead that she belongs to you and that all she needs, all she uh, longs for is found in Christ. And it is in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Cheryl, thank you again. You know, um, what enables Cheryl to be that raw and honest isn't merely summoning up a courage, isn't merely being bold by personality. Uh, she might have some of that underneath the surface, but uh, what enables Cheryl to be this honest in front of all of you and an unknown live stream audience is rooted in her faith that is growing still, that she is in Christ Jesus. That's one of Paul's favorite phrases um, that enables us to see what we truly need. In Christ Jesus is, is a promise that lies at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It gives us access to a strength and a status and an identity and a deeply rooted significance that will not pass away all of which we don't have on our own. We think we do. We're um, deluded in seasons of life uh, by promises of the same, but they're all substitutes. They're all fakes for the real thing. We think we have those, and we don't, but Jesus actually does, and he's all, He offers it all to us by faith. Um, he has earned status, significance, approval, the light of the Father through his perfect life. And we tap into that. We gain access, by, uh, in, uh, we gain access to that. Cheryl used the, the, the phrase, um, Jesus' position in God um, in John's gospel. 
confidence in who he was, in his high status. We gain access to all that Jesus is still today by faith in him, in Christ, in the Lord, in him. Paul's favorite phrase is that he uses over 160 times in his New Testament letters. And we'll look at one example in Philippians chapter 3. We finished the Philippians summer series last summer. We're going to dip um, into uh, a section that we already covered because it uh, connects so well to one main strand of Cheryl's story. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is summarizing the problem with some troublemakers in the church with this phrase, they put confidence in the flesh. They believe you need to prove yourself. You need to do certain things in order to win the approval of God and then gain standing within the church. And here's Paul's rebuttal. Philippians chapter uh, 3, starting in verse 4. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He's got Jewish pedigree of the highest order. There are no skeletons in Paul's religious closet, if you will. He's had the best education, and he has reached the pinnacle of his profession as a Pharisee. He was known for his zeal and his faultless abiding by the law of God. But, he continues, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. All of that, religious record had been the basis of Paul's self-image, self-confidence, self-worth. But he says, it's all garbage. Um, Zeal for God, he's not saying is a bad thing. Following the law in holiness and obedience, he's not saying they're bad things. Having a good family background, he's not saying that's a bad thing. What he does say is that knowing Christ Jesus as Lord changes everything puts it all into perspective. And he realizes that falsely basing his self-image, self-worth, self-identity on those good things made them idols, made um, made good things ultimate things, more important than God ever intended. And he says, compared to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord, all of that is garbage. It, It could never provide what I long for. That was Paul's self-righteousness, and losing all of that makes perfect sense in light of the gospel because Paul says, I've lost all this, but I have gained Christ. I am now found in Christ by faith, and everything Jesus the Son earned through His perfect life his status, his significance, his, the approval of the Father, eternal security, that's given to Paul by faith. That access by faith is at the heart of, of, of biblical Christianity. 
You can't be a biblical Christian without understanding that Jesus has all that you need, and he offers it to you by faith. His record becomes yours. His victory over death and sin is credited to you if you will trust in him. Paul says he has gained the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Self-righteousness, garbage. Christ-righteousness, priceless. Cheryl's story reveals a thread that runs through most of her life. She pointed back to middle school years, which were difficult, depressive episodes, um, some toxic relationships. She said, I began craving the approval of people. Cheryl's not unique. (laughs) Every young person goes through that. You know, um, wanting other people to like them, think highly of them. Cheryl told us in high school, she realized that she got approval when she displayed kindness, smarts, athleticism, nothing wrong with any of that. Nobody would ever fault you for working hard in those areas of life. But success, some measure of of winning at life, gave her a quick high of approval, and that drug is incredibly addicting. The problem was that approval became the basis of her confidence, she told us. Approval became the basis of her identity, her sense of self-significance. Now wait, if you're around little ones, don't you want them to do well? And don't you praise them when they actually do? Even a six-month-old, when you gush with delight, uh, understands, I just did something really good, and I want to do it again because I love the way you're making me feel right now. Even, if, even a six-month-old, to some extent. The two-and-a-half-year-old says out loud a lot, look at me, and you do, and you praise her for eating all of her dinner, for using the potty, for saying please when she asks for something, you praise And it rewards behavior. Isn't there everything good about that picture of affirming in relationship little ones? You're building self-esteem. And the lack of affirmation in relationship can be very harmful to the development of a little one. So what's the problem? The question becomes, as this little one Uh, over whom you gush with delight and praise all the time, the question becomes, as they grow and mature, whether self-esteem leaves no room for growing Christ-esteem. The praised student knows that she's at the top of her class. Her peers talk about how smart she is. Her teachers nod knowingly, subtly treat her differently. She's got status, prestige, all the more so for the praised athlete because his stats show up in a local newspaper. All the families in town know his name from early Little League years or travel soccer accolades. He's the goal scorer. Praise quickly, easily 
becomes significance. And then you need more of it to stay happy, content. That's relevant to Cheryl's story. What's the solution? Paul gives us um, more than a clue. He gives us the beginning of a direction in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, when he says, ask this rhetorical question, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, which you did, why do you boast as though you do not? In other words, what do you have that you did not receive? What, what belongs to you that, that you could talk about, that you would want people to recognize in you that wasn't given to you as a gift? It's all grace. It's all gifts from your Creator. How can you take credit, let alone boast, if you realize that good things come from your Creator and King, and at the same time, if you realize that you do not deserve such kindness from your King because your sin means that you have, as a pattern of life, rebelled against the King's rule in your life, that twin set of truths alone has the power to keep you humble. I don't deserve anything, but God has given me these gifts. And that cultivates humility and a life of, uh, of gratitude. Um, you stay aware of your tendency to seek glory, but this is the ideal path. This is the trajectory of spiritual growth. You think to yourself, on a regular basis, soli deo gloria, that Latin phrase that became uh, one of the themes of the Reformation, to God alone be the glory. You don't take credit for what you can't because God has given it to you. And so when you hear praise, you redirect it to where it belongs, to the Lord Himself. You, you increasingly become a generous person because what's been given to you as a grace gift is not yours to hoard, but to steward for God, to manage for His benefit, and so you use it for others' good. You share, you give it away. How often do we hear stories of a celebrity who admits in uh, an interview that he or she has lived in the darkness of depression their entire lives, and that daily, even still, they battle crippling anxiety. It's not a, it's not a rare story. It's not, a, it's not an isolated instance. Why, why would that be? Because young people too often want that kind of life. If only I could, but this celebrity is admitting all the money in the world all the admiration that anyone could possibly ever receive isn't enough. And the fear of losing what they do have and the reality of the emptiness of fame make it really difficult, if not impossible, to rest content and maybe to rest at all. Cheryl told us that a turning point was a recent season when she found herself in situations in which she couldn't please people. And the Spirit of God enabled her to realize, actually, that was the answer to prayer. Thanks a lot, God. God knew better than she what she really needed. He stripped away the drug of people approval, which showed Cheryl that she already had the security and the significance and the status 
that she craved. How did she have that? Not by doing better, but by virtue of being found in Christ, her standing, her position with God by faith. His status, His approval, His perfect righteousness was hers, and it is enough. I want to move.